Coming up, want to know the differences between a copyright and a trademark? Well, I've got Gary Nissenbaum to talk all about the legal side of the app business. You'll discover how to protect yourself from copycats, how to overcome legal pitfalls, and how to fight back against negative marketing campaigns. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. From Apple features to ASO to influencer marketing, you will learn all the tools and tactics to make it in the app space. Learn more at appmastersacademy.com. Do you need press releases, email content, or blog posts to show you know your stuff? Well, check out copymasters.co where you can get unlimited copywriting for just one low monthly price. It is copymasters.co. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of appmasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content in the app business. And today, I've got a different type of episode. We're going to talk more about the law and the legal side. Now, obviously, can't take this. Well, I'll let Gary do his little disclaimer as well, but we're going to do something different. I'm super excited to talk to him because I don't normally talk to people in his field, but let me introduce a guest. His name is, and I'm going to butcher it, Gary Nissenbaum. He is the managing attorney and founding principal at Nissenbaum Law Group, LLC. You can learn all about their services at gdnlaw.com. Gary, welcome to the show. Steve, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, the topic is something that I'm very interested in, and it's sort of a focus of our practice. So That's I think this cool. is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, Gary. Well, I, I think I'm like many of the people who are listening in today in that uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, just like your audience. I uh, was practicing law for 15 years when I decided to open my own shop. And I was the typical guy alone in a room with a phone and a computer and the phone's not ringing and there's nothing to do on the computer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I started with, with no clients and basically just built it uh, the way an entrepreneur does, which, I, which is I looked for a, an area of the market in this case, legal services market that was underserved. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was it was in the, in the late 1990s and the dot-com boom was happening. And it was, it was clear that, that there was a need for intellectual property lawyers, uh, commercial lawyers who would focus in on the emerging uh, internet, the emergence of e-commerce. And so uh, while we do a, a host of other things as commercial lawyers, we stick with that one area as much as we can, um, where we're representing businesses and people with business issues with a sub-focus of the digital market. Um, and that naturally brought us to do two things. The first is since we weren't expanding into other practice areas, I'm not doing matrimonial divorces. I'm not doing personal injury, auto accidents. I had to move laterally into other states in order to expand. So we have offices in New Jersey, New York, 
Pennsylvania and Dallas and actually practice in other states as well, consistent with the uh, rules governing that, that sort of thing. Uh, but more to the point for your audience is we segued from e-commerce and internet to apps, video games, um, entertainment law, and things like that. And so we sort of ended up with a, a, fo- a sub-focus of a focus. And I will tell you that the app practice that we have has really taken off, uh, which, which is one of the reasons I'm so thrilled to be speaking to you and, and to have a chance to sort of discuss some of the issues that we've seen confronting our app clients. Yeah, and definitely want to get into some of the things and some of the ask you some of the questions that I hear from my audience too. But Gary, before we get into the app stuff, like what made you take the leap after 15 years? Well, I, I will tell you that um, my family uh, always had been entrepreneurs. My grandfather had his own business. My father had his, uh, uh, he was a doctor, he had a medical practice. I grew up around entrepreneurs. Um, the thing that, that really was difficult for me was that the profession that I chose uh, was one that was so detail-oriented and it was so intolerant of error. Mm-hmm. So I had I, I really didn't feel that I could open my own firm starting out, that I really needed to learn my craft. And in commercial law, in what I do, it is so technical, so detailed. There are so many layers to it that it took well over 10 years for me to feel like I was ready to kind of do it myself without um, the help of, a, of, a, of, a, of an employer kind of looking over what I was doing. I love that. So it's just more of a, a personal thing, not anything. Yeah, I love it's it. in my DNA, I think, uh, to do things like this. I, 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 I feel, and I also feel that, um, there are things that I've, I've acquired over the years in terms of how to deal with people, um, who are in trouble. Uh, don't forget when someone comes to me, uh, generally they're facing one of the worst situations they've had in their entire life. Mm. Uh, or if they're not, they're undertaking some kind of risk because there's some reward at the end and they're very, very fearful of what can go wrong. I'm dealing with people who need a little bit of empathy while at the same time they need competence. And in, in my world, you don't always see that combination. Sometimes it's a choice between hiring somebody who's empathetic or hiring somebody who's competent, but you can't get both. And what, what I have tried to do from the beginning, and I've been doing this now for 35 years, is um, to treat people like human beings the way I would want to be treated, to, to never talk down to anybody, to always treat them with empathy and respect, but at the same time, to have this sort of hard edge about representing them, um, uh, fighting their fight, um, taking their side, and doing everything I can to uh, treat them as I would if they were my own family. Now, Gary, let's get into more of the app stuff. Is when you started doing more of the apps and video game stuff, was it just seeing the market or did you come into it some other form? Were you seeing something else? Well, here, here's what I was seeing. I was seeing an area of commerce that was growing at a very rapid clip, 
but this idea, you know, that we're we're moving fast and breaking things, and and this is a great way of doing stuff. It just doesn't work in the legal field. So you can't drive a car and just hit the accelerator all the time. There has to be a way of of modulating what you're doing. And I found that that these uh, digital clients that I had, some of whom were, were massive companies, some of whom were small startups, um, did not have copyrights in place, did not have trademarks in place, uh, did their terms and conditions, uh, were either out of date or unenforceable, Mm -hmm. um, that they didn't have uh, proper, uh, employment slash independent contractor agreements. Uh, and, and the big one, which is, um, if you had more than one person in a company, did they even have a binding operating agreement? Did they have a shareholders agreement? And, and the answer was frequently no, because what they had done, and when I say this, it's going to be very familiar to the people who are listening. Uh, they'd gone online, they'd gone to one of the um, discount uh, sites that says that you don't need a lawyer and you can just start your company for free and a few hundred dollars, no big deal, give us the filing fee and blah, blah, blah. And, and they had not done what they need to do. It's like doing surgery on yourself. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you can cut into yourself, but then what? Um, I mean, you got to know what you're doing. And unfortunately, a lot of people think they're protected when they're really not. What, you know, this is something that I think about too, Gary, and I love your input on this. You know, when I hear from clients, especially when they're entrepreneurs and they're founders and they're maybe self-funding it and they talk about trademarks and some of the legal aspects of things, my mind, and maybe just because I'm more of the I don't have that legal background and I always think just grow and get customers first and then think about that stuff later. I go, why? Like that's a lot of money that you're pouring into when you haven't proven out the model. What do you normally say? Like when is the best time to start thinking about some of those legal aspects that you refer to like the trademark and copywriting stuff? The key to success in business uh, and certainly what has been my mantra is control and redundancy. Um, you have to have complete control of every aspect of your business. That's from the person who delivers the mail and making sure the mail's coming on time and that you're actually getting your mail to your IT person, to, uh, the person who is your lawyer, to the person who is your accountant and on and on and on. You have to have control of everything. And then at the same time, you have to have redundancy, which is triple checking constantly triple checking. And what I find is that a lot of times when people come to me with their legal matters, as I listen to their story, I hear that the control broke down mm. or the redundancy broke down. And, you know, just a, an example um, from the news this morning, uh, there was a filing in federal court um, involving Paul Manafort, uh, and his lawyer was supposed to redact, which means black out certain key confidential information. They apparently blacked it out by highlighting it in black in Microsoft Word, as opposed to using the Adobe system, the, the, not the free one, but the one you pay for, right. which has a whole system to completely redact, to get rid of all the alphanumeric characters in that document uh, where you've blacked out. And the problem with that is that since you just used a color black in Microsoft Word, anyone who got the document digitally could undo it and see what you had blacked out. Oh now, who goodness. would think of that? Yeah. Well, the answer is you better think of that 
because there are ramifications to the law firm for not doing that. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You, you need to have those two things, control and redundancy, in my opinion, in order to have a successful business and getting the right lawyer and, and having the lawyer do the right things for you is part of that control and redundancy. I love it. I know one of the best things I've ever did was, you know, when I put, when I started this company, hire a lawyer, help put the, the agreement together that we're working with clients, like, Hey, this is, you know, solid. And it's, it's been one of the best things, saved me a ton of time because I was using some of those free services in the early <laughs> days. Yeah, right. <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, so Gary, like, tell me about this. What are some of the legal pitfalls that you normally deal with when it comes to you working with your app and gaming clients? Well, you know, one of the big ones is when the app is not successful, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really interested. Nobody, very few times you're going to have something stolen that has no value. But the minute that that app starts getting traction, uh, starts producing revenue, um, you now have a situation where people are um, infringing on your copyright, infringing on your trademarks, um, fooling people into thinking that, that those people are downloading your app when they're not, they're downloading somebody else's app. Um, and we have been doing infringement actions throughout the United States and frankly, in, in, in relating to other countries who are infringing, uh, people in other countries who are infringing. And I will tell you that this is massive um, it, um, I find it, I find it to be personally reprehensible because all they're really doing is stealing the hard work and creativity of the people who developed the original app. And that's a big one. And fortunately the copyright laws and the trademark laws have been helpful, um, in, in sort of making the transition to protecting the digital uh, intellectual property as much as digital property you would think of as a, as a book or a, or a motion picture and things like that. Um, and so what you're talking about is misappropriation of, of the name or likeness, the uh, false designation of origin. Uh, these are even cyber piracy. These are concepts that lawyers talk about, but they all sort of blend in to this larger umbrella of someone trying to s divert the income stream, the revenue stream that your listeners are entitled to um, by virtue of, of the work they did to, to create a successful app. You know, I know there was this huge, maybe it was in 2015, 14, when people were reskinning apps, Gary, and essentially taking a core source code, so the core gameplay, and just putting different elements. So it could be mm. a different characters and different bonus systems, different app icon, different screenshots. But but I would say 80% of the game is pretty much the same. They'd just be creating more multiple versions of this and just reskinning, reskinning, reskinning. As an app creator, so like let's say I'm Crossy Road or I'm Color Switch, one of these really popular games, but super simple too, like that anybody can copy this. How do I protect myself from people copying my ideas? Well, you know, you you, you mentioned source code, and I can't count how many of the um, engagements we've had have um, started there. Um, the idea that source code um, is not something that is licensed to the company or individual who is having the developer develop the app. Um, start with that. 
Um, the fact that when 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 people um, put together an app, a website, uh, or some other digital product, and they pay a fair amount of money for it, they think they're buying that, and then they can market it retail. And it turns out that what they have bought is um, the code that's on top of that source code, but the source code is not theirs. I'm not necessarily against that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I understand that that in the digital world, it's like a contractor going to build a house. You hire him to build the house. You're not buying his tools. Uh, you're not buying his truck. Uh, I understand all that. But what I'm saying is something more subtle, which is that issue has to be out in front and it has to be clear. What part of the code does my client have the the exclusive right to what part of the code does my client license and what part of the code is my client not entitled to use at all without um further um uh consent on the part of the developer uh where that comes in by the way is in the issue of um of uh, renovation of the site. If I'm going to change something in the site, if I'm going to, you know, enhance it, uh, I may bring in a different developer. That developer may need to use the source code. Are they allowed to access it at all? Those are the questions that we, we deal with a lot. And if I do have some hit, let's say my game takes off and my, you know, it's called color switch, for example, it's simple, pretty simple game, ball goes up, switches colors, what, from a legal perspective, is there anything I can do to protect myself from copycats? Is it trademarking the name co- Color Switch? Is it saying this mechanism? I don't know. I don't. I'm a complete noob on what the legal terms are, so please correct me if I'm using the wrong term. But what what can I do to make sure that other people see this hit idea and it's pretty easy to replicate? But I don't want people just flooding the app store with other copycats called Switch of Colors or you know Ball Switch or something like that. Well, let, well, let's get into it then in terms of just the basics. The, there is a the distinction that has to be made at the outset. There is something called copyright. There's something called trademark. And there's something called confidential trade secret information. And those are three different levels and they, they interrelate, but you have to understand them as separate uh, concepts first. So... A copyright is the protection of the expression of an idea. Uh, You cannot protect an idea through a copyright. You protect how it is expressed, and it has to be expressed in a way that is unique enough to be copyrightable. The trademark is how you're identified in the marketplace, how consumers identify you, whether it's shape, color, words, um, sounds, all all sorts of things uh, that can be unique enough uh, that they are actually identifying you in a way that, that, that is protectable. And then the final one, which is a contractual confidentiality provision. Uh, the idea of either trade secrecy or, or just straight out confidentiality protection generally, that means that you can, you can protect an idea because it's being done through a contract. It's 
between the two parties. The law in the, the, the law in, in the United States generally will not allow you to protect an idea uh, against public disclosure by just filing a document with the government. But a, contra- a contract will allow you to do that. So you can circumscribe, you can limit your legal rights through signing that contract. And so what you do is you take those three and you say, what can I protect in this app? Does this app have cartoon characters? And are these cartoon characters going to be licensed for apparel, um, towels, uh, hats, uh, mugs, um, VR, all sorts of things? Are we going to have a television show? Are we going to have a movie? Are we going to do all sorts of books, comics, graphic novels with these characters? If so, we better talk about trademark of the characters and copyright as well. And, and what is the distinction between the two in terms of that character? And the answer is it's according to how it's being used and in what way we can fit it into those categories. Um, you know, so a lot of what we do with the, with app clients is especially with app clients that are in the entertainment field in some level, um, relates to the same sorts of protections when we have, uh, movie clients, when we have television clients, um, when we have literary clients, even music clients, it's the same sorts of concepts. That's really cool. Thank you for that breakdown. That was actually phenomenal. I was like, oh my goodness, I understand it now so much better. Now, Gary, can marketing techniques be actually deemed confidential confidential trade secrets if they're like publicly known? I'm just curious from my personal end too. Well, th- think about it. Um, it's unlikely that if it's a publicly known marketing technique that you're going to be able to somehow copyright the expression of that technique and 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 make that copyright stick that doesn't sound like a, a copyright issue it doesn't sound like a trademark issue it's not how you're identified in commerce unless there's some unusual aspect to it what it does sound like though is it sounds like a contract that your independent contractors and employees and even your vendors frankly would have to sign that would say, you are going to learn about my SEO. You're, you're going to learn how I market my app. Um, those techniques, while the principles are not unique in any way, the way I use those principles, that is, that is protectable. Hmm. And that is a trade secret, and you cannot disclose it. So the answer is that you need to have contracts with all the persons who are coming into contact with that, and that is protectable. Um, and that's pretty much the standard way you would protect those things. I love that. Okay, because there are ways that, there are techniques that I have that are probably, probably publicly known, but they're very, pretty unique on how I apply them. That's really good. All right, all right, Gary. So if I'm a listener, I'm out there, I got some legal problems, I'm trying to look for a lawyer, what kind of advice do you have for me when trying to find the right lawyer? Well, I'll give you three ideas of what someone should be asking about when they are um, looking for a lawyer. Um, and, and I hasten to add that, you know, I have no idea why somebody would be looking for a lawyer. I don't know what jurisdiction they'd be in. So these are very, very general concepts. But I think 
they have universal application based just upon my own experience. These are the things that I would want to ask if I were not a lawyer. So number one is the person you're speaking with can sound great and have all the answers and you get along great with them. What happens if they're on vacation? What happens if they're sick? What happens if they have a big trial and they're going to be away for six weeks doing that and they, and you're going to be handed off? you got to meet the people who they're going to be handing off to. You have to know not just that you're comfortable with the initial person you're dealing with in that law firm, but also the other people in the law firm as well. Ask who they work with. Get the names of the people who will be working on your matter um, and meet them and talk to them as well. Second, um, if your matter involves uh, a lawsuit, you have to understand the distinction between a litigator and a trial attorney. Now, to the lay public, if I say I'm a litigator and I say I'm a trial attorney, you don't really see the difference. But actually, it's a big difference. When lawyers say that they're litigators, that could mean that they don't go to trial very often. What they do is they do the pretrial stuff the discovery, the motion practice, the mediations, the arbitrations, and generally the cases settle. A trial attorney is somebody who actually has experience at trial and has tried cases. And I would urge that you ask that question if your matter is one that might ultimately go to trial. And then the final one is, are they familiar with digital marketing of their own law firm? Because um, if they're in this sort of SEO world and, you know, the way you found them was that you did a search on Google and they come up in three different spots on the first page, you get a sense that at least they understand what the app client who is doing marketing and has a marketing issue relating to the law will, will be asking about. We're talking apples and apples. If, if this person is a dinosaur and they're still, you know, marketing in, in yellow pages and telephone books and things like that, which, by the way, I'm not putting down because when I started out, I was, I was, I was in five telephone books. So believe <laughs> me, I'm not putting anybody down by saying that, but I'm saying we evolve, yeah. you know, we grow. And uh, so much of what I do now is digital. Uh, that when I have a digital client, we're speaking the same language. I get exactly what they're talking about if they have an, uh, a marketing issue, and I can hone right in. And I think that's important uh, when you're when you're finding a lawyer in that field. I agree. And one point that I want to make too is the trial litigator distinction that you made. I think it's so valuable. My wife's a lawyer, and she loves you know she's a great trial lawyer too. And she notices like a lot of times, you know, she'll notice that certain people are litigators and they don't, they perform really poorly when they're in trial and she'll just, you know, eat them up <laughs> pretty much. So it's really important. If you think it's going to go to trial, make sure you have the right trial lawyer, because that's going to be key when you actually go to trial, because they may want to settle before they go into trial. That's just can my, I give you an insight. About yeah, please. That because you're, you're, you're speaking about something that's very, very important to me. Um, if, if you want, as a lawyer, if you want to know how to write a contract well, in my opinion, you need to know how to litigate a contract breach. Mm. If you want to be able to litigate a contract breach well and do that lawsuit, you got to know how to write a contract. 
In other words, in order to understand it when it's broken, you got to understand it when it's not broken. And my feeling is that, that in order to have complete training as an attorney, you have to have in, a, in the commercial context, which is what I do, the business law, you have to both have had transactional experience, which means things that are not part of lawsuits, transactions that people engage in, and litigation experience as well. And I find that that even it is a subset of that, which is what you're talking about, which is if, if all I'm doing is sending out discovery requests, interrogatories, document requests, uh, deposition notices, making motions, it's all paper. Uh, and there's very little interaction with witness, witness preparation and actually trying the case. Then what I'm doing is I'm building in the car, but I don't know how to drive. So how does it help for me to do all that discovery, all that motion practice, if I don't know how any of that's going to be used once there's a trial? And then when you're at trial and you kind of look at your case and you say, oh, my gosh, I wish we would have asked for this. I wish we would have made a motion for that. Now it's too late. It's because there's a disconnect. So my philosophy of this and the philosophy of the people in my law firm is that, is that we try to work backward. We first ask how this ends. What is the trial going to look like? Who are the main witnesses? What are we going to be asking them? What are the documents we're going to want to put into evidence? And then work backward to figure out how we're going to authenticate those documents, obtain them through the discovery and the subpoenas and so forth, and also what motions we're going to make in order to hone these trial issues. We work from the end backward because we know where we're going. I love that. You put it beautifully. All right. One thing I forgot to ask you, Gary, and we can end with this is just to make sure we're good on time is if a company is getting negative marketing. So I know within the app space, we can get negative marketing in terms of reviews in the app stores, which really hurt our rankings. And I know that some are fake, like our competitors are probably buying these one star reviews on our site. Is there any legal actions that we can take? Well, you know, there's a big difference between somebody who is expressing their opinion uh, however misguided. Um, and, uh, for example, a competitor who is masquerading as a consumer and is giving you a bad review, but they're doing it so they can prop up their own product. Um, the first one is generally protected by the First Amendment, uh, as well as uh, state constitutions and laws. Um, so it is unusual that you would be able to take legal action against someone who just gave you uh, their opinion, even if their opinion was ill-informed. But on the other hand, if you can prove that the source of that review is a competitor who has a nefarious objective to kind of destroy your brand, increase their brand, and they're lying, you may very well be able to use such things as um, the unfair competition laws and things like that. There are also um, some, some situations in which we can use copyright laws uh, to say that someone is lifting our intellectual property that's been copyrighted and using it in a way they're not supposed to. Um, that is limited because there's a concept called uh, fair use. And so there, there are limitations on when you can say somebody else is violating your copyright if they're using your material in order to critique you. But it, it, but it does exist. And there are situations we've seen like that. 
um, especially in the um, in the area of people taking intimate photos uh, of a of a of someone and that that they're in a relationship with, the relationship goes sour, and suddenly the photos are all over the place on the internet, things like that. Uh, and, and similar concepts, we may be able to use copyright to work on that. So you have unfair competition, you have copyright. And then the third one, which is one I'm sure you're aware of, which is that, that a lot of these, um, websites, uh, where you post this stuff are, are putting in place mechanisms to take things down that have been put up maliciously. Uh, so you can frequently do that, uh, even outside of a, of a court of law. Sorry, I have to unmute myself. Couldn't find the unmute button. <laughs> that was awesome, Gary. Is there anything I missed before we hit the big finish? Well, just just in terms of, you know, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, um, I just wanted to let them know there's, there's really one really good way of getting in touch with me, and that's my email. Mm. Um, it's gdn at gdnlaw.com. Really easy. So gdn at gdnlaw.com if anyone wants to get in touch with me and, you know, wants to talk a little more about any of these issues or has any kind of issue, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. That's awesome. Well, Gary, before we hit the big finish, I do want to say something about my other company and let the listeners know that I do have a couple of businesses that I'm running. It is called Copy Masters. So if you're like Gary, you got this great voice and you're great on camera and you're great on audio, but you hate writing. I'm sure Gary loves writing, but and you want to turn this content into blog posts. Well, that's what Copy Masters is. It's an unlimited copywriting service. And what we're really good at, what I really built it for, because my need was I have this podcast. I have such great content that Gary has bestowed on us. I could turn this into an easy blog post. And I wanted somebody to know how to write, but also listen and turn this content into an actual blog post with the differences between a copyright trademark and contractual confidentiality trade secrets. That's a great blog post that we can turn and Gary went into details about that. So that's what the service is all about. How do you get unlimited content constantly? If you love talking, if you love being on video, if you love doing webinars and turning that into a blog post, ebook, whatever, written content that you want out. So if you're interested in learning more, there is a four, it's a free 14 day free trial that if you sign up, you can get your first article on us for free to see how well we do. And if you like us, you can stay with us as well. So it is once again, copymasters.co, copymasters.co, kind of like at masters. I started with the CO and then eventually got the .com and I see copymasters doing that as well. So once again, copymasters.co. Gary, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app. We definitely have to check out. Okay. Well, I can just tell you the app that I use every day, uh, and that is CNN. I love uh, it. I am on the CNN app constantly. Uh, I, I want to know what's going on around me. I want to understand the news, and I find that it's, it's incredibly helpful to me. Uh, the only problem I have with it is that sometimes I'll be in a meeting and I'll tap on the CNN and suddenly it's playing a video at full, full <laughs> capacity and the volume is up and everybody knows what I'm doing. So if they could just not do that, that would be great. But uh, <laughs> I'm beginning to understand which things are, are what I'm tapping are videos and which are not. But I, I, I love that app and I use it all the time. I love it. And there is a question that I actually stole from Oprah, which I heard her say, what's a lesson that took you the longest to learn, Gary? Uh, I think I think the lesson that it took me the longest to learn was that just because I was right about something did does not mean that someone is going to listen to what I have to say. And I have to go at their pace, not mine. 
uh, it's very frustrating when I look at a legal situation, I know within five seconds where the problem is and what this person needs to be doing, but they don't have the capacity emotionally or, or, or in any other way at that moment to hear what I have to say. It's too harsh for them to listen to. And I need to be ginger. I need to be careful. I need to go slow and be patient. Um, even though I'm quote unquote right, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Because if I come on too strong, it's like telling somebody to drink water from a fire hose. Yeah, there's water coming out of the fire hose. You can't drink it. It's coming out too fast. So I need to go at the, per- the listener's pace, not at my pace. And that was a lesson it took me years to learn. I love that. I love that. That's why I love this question as well. So if you want to learn more about Gary and his law firm, go check out gdnlaw.com. That is linked up into the show notes. He's got some great videos on intellectual property. And if you want to check out his legal services for mobile apps and gaming, just go once again to gdnlaw.com. And if you want to get in touch with Gary, go to just email him gdn at gdnlaw.com. Gary, did I miss anything else? No, thank you so much. This was absolutely terrific. I really enjoyed talking to you. I love this conversation. I was so excited to talk to you because I don't normally talk to this side of the business and I'm so glad I did. Gary, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Take care. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.